0: Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. I'm Sam.
1: Hi, I'm Anna.
0: And we're here to talk about Attack of the Clones.
1: Ah, Episode two. Yeah.
0: So uh, this is a fun one. I'm really excited. What all happened in the first half of it?
1: Okay. I'm very excited that I actually understood what was happening plot wise in this movie because uh, the first time I watched Attack of the Clones last year Uh, I just immediately had a huge chip on my shoulder about Anakin and Padme. And so I was, as they say, not watching for the plot. Mm -hmm. So I was very excited to actually understand what was happening uh, this go around. So we open, I think, 10 years after the events of The Phantom Menace. Anakin Skywalker has grown up. He's tall now. He is tall now and smoldering (laughs)
0: <laughs> bad hair, though.
1: Really bad hair. Really unfortunate everything, but the smolder was on point.
0: Obi-Wan, great hair.
1: Uh, Ewan McGregor is a dreamboat in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is peak Obi-Wan. So the events of this movie open with Padme Amidala, who is no longer the Queen of Naboo. Instead, she is an elected senator. Um, she is returning to Coruscant, to vote against the formation of an army of the Republic because the Jedi are so strapped as peacekeepers uh, and warriors that they need more support?
0: Historically, the Jedi and the Republic are separate, that like the Jedi are not within the structures of the Republic government. And they do their own thing, but they also are pretty limited in what they can and can't do.
1: Yeah, I was going to say it was very unclear to me that the Jedi had such a role kind of enforcing anything in the galaxy. They kind of, it seemed to me, did their own thing. So I was a little confused on that point.
0: Well, we can talk about that when we press on more, I think, with the development of what's going on in this movie. Because that is like what sort of the point of this movie is, is tying up the Jedi with the army of the Republic as part of the clone wars.
1: Sure. So as Padme is returning to Coruscant, there's an assassination attempt on her, her decoy Corday. Corday? Sure. Her decoy is killed uh, in the wake of that attempted assassination. Anakin and Obi-Wan are assigned to protect her. There is another attempt on her life that night uh, a very exciting chase scene through the skies of Coruscant. Anakin and Obi-Wan apprehend the assassin. Uh, she is mysteriously murdered by Saberdart uh, mm-hmm. before they can find out the name of the person who hired her to carry out the assassination. Obi-Wan is assigned by the Jedi Council to investigate Um He is split up from Anakin, who is assigned to be Padme's bodyguard back on her home planet of Naboo. So Anakin and Obi-Wan split up for a good portion of this movie. Obi-Wan follows the um, intel of his old pal, Dax yeah, from a really delightful diner scene that I was not expecting from a <laughs> Star Wars movie. <laughs> he like meets up with his old buddy Dax and is like, hey, do you know anything about this? And his buddy Dax is like, yes, it's on this planet that nobody knows about. But I mm-hmm. have the intelligence to move this plot along for you. <laughs> so Obi-Wan ends up on the planet of Kamino. Mm-hmm. Far past the outer rim,
0: yeah. Although it start, he he's has a really hard time finding it. He has to stop in with the uh, Jedi and talk with Yoda, and they're like, "Oh, maybe it, it turns out that it's been deleted from the Jedi records," mm-hmm. which is quite interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. He does end up finding it. He discovers that a clone army has been ordered ten years ago by. A now-dead Jedi.
0: Sifo-Dyas.
1: Sifo-Dyas, who was killed 10 years ago, so Mm -hmm. in some pretty suspicious timing.
0: Yes, quite.
1: He meets bounty hunter Jango Fett and baby Jango Boba Fett, Mm -hmm. who is Jango's son, but is an identical clone. So Jango is raising himself.
0: Yes, Boba is an unaltered clone from Django, and then all the rest of the clones are uh, changed a little bit to grow up faster and to be more docile, and a few other things. Yeah,
1: we should we should definitely talk about how the oh the independence gene is edited out of the genetic makeup of the clones, which is pretty dicey.
0: Yeah, it's it's especially funny because later on in in the Clone Wars TV series, they they still have a pretty strong independent streak in them. So that means that Boba and Jango must be really far out there as far as I was going to say
1: they're pretty spicy. Yeah. There is a big fight scene uh Obi-Wan does end up following Jango and Boba into the galaxy into an asteroid belt eventually to the planet of Geonosis. Mhm. We in the midst of all of this action are also following the journey of Anakin and Padme. I say this with heavy air quotes, falling in love on the planet of Naboo. Um, Despite this delightful honeymoon kind of period that they're in, Anakin continues to have really troubling dreams of his mom, Shmi. He and Padme end up going to Tatooine uh, where Shmi has been taken hostage by some Tuscan raiders. Anakin finds out he has got a whole step family. Shmi was sold by his old owner, Watto. Shmi remarried. He has a stepbrother and a step... girlfriend.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure what that relationship is. He has
1: a stepbrother who has a girlfriend. Yeah,
0: they're like, hey, and he's like, I'm a Jedi. I'm just here for my mom. And they're like, cool, welcome to our farm in the middle of nowhere.
1: Anakin marches into the desert, finds Shmi, who promptly dies in his arms, saying that she's now complete, now that she has seen her grown-up son. There is a gigantic murder of the Tusken Raiders, which happens off-screen for the most part. Flashback to Obi-Wan on Geonosis, who discovers that there is a separatist movement forming against the Republic, and they have a massive droid army, and this is all being ostensibly masterminded by Count Dooku.
0: And that's just the first half of this one.
1: That is just the first half of this movie. Um, So that's where we're going to stop, plot-wise. Yeah
0: a lot going on. Um, Starting at the beginning, I'm really sad about that extremely cool ship getting blown up. Which one? Uh, Padme's Ambassador Big Silver Ship.
1: Oh, yeah. First two minutes of the movie, Padme's ship is blown up.
0: And something that um, aesthetically really struck me when I first watched this was that it really is evocative of sort of like a 1930s sky captain in the world of tomorrow aesthetic. tell me more. There's like clouds. There's a city in the clouds. The color was sort of uh, sepia and blue.
1: There were a lot of really intentional color decisions Mm -hmm. made in this film that I thought were pretty fantastic.
0: And uh, Padme has a new guard, Captain Typho, I believe. So he's a new guy. He's very protective of her. It's a a cool scene at the beginning, uh, really showing why she still does the decoy plan. And I think that's pretty interesting.
1: So the first question that I feel like I always want to ask is what was the critical reception of this movie when it came out in 2002?
0: This one was quite mixed. Um as you alluded to the troubling and difficult relationship between Padme and Anakin and just the really flat dialogue that is I think it's having what you know watching it this time. I identified with Anakin more because Mm. he's sitting here and he's saying all these things to this woman. And he's been, as he says, he's been thinking about her every day. And so he's doing that thing that young men do where you have a billion conversations with someone in your head and you expect that you've already figured out all the answers. He's been obsessing over her for all this time. And he's saying all these things that he probably studied up to be like, ah, yes, this is poetic. This is romantic. This is that the other thing. But he doesn't have any affability to deliver it.
1: Yeah, the thing is, uh, the one of the very first things that he says to Padme in this movie immediately put me on edge, which is that uh, she says something to the effect of, oh, Annie, you've changed so much. And he says, you haven't changed at all, mm-hmm. which is patently untrue. But it also means that Anakin has been in love with this idea of Padme for 10 of his most formative years.
0: Absolutely. And it shows. Yeah. And there's some really awkward moments that I think might have also put people off of this movie. Like there's a moment where uh, when Obi-Wan and Anakin sit down and they see Jar Jar, they see Padme and they're like, oh, yes, you know, now we're going to be protecting you. And Anakin just like goes off. And Obi-Wan has to shut him down. And everyone's like, so this is that really awkward moment where you're like fighting in front of guests. <laughs> like,
1: <So you're- laughs> we immediately see Padme go into this mode of like tact and defusing mm-hmm. the situation, which will be something that she falls into for the entire course of her relationship with Anakin, but is especially evident in this movie because Anakin is so tortured and so tightly wound and so miserable in this movie that it feels like almost every conversation Padme is defusing Mm -hmm. some emotional experience that Anakin is having.
0: Yeah, for sure. And that's something which is going to be a touchstone of their entire relationship, unfortunately, because it's not a good basis to have a relationship in. But it is an unfortunately relatable basis to have a relationship in, in that you have people who are attracted to each other because their relationship is toxic. Mm-hmm. And like there's a physical attraction, but there's also this like toxic draw to it.
1: Yeah. People who are very good at giving, I think, often end up in toxic relationships with people who are very good at taking. Mm-hmm. And that is a dynamic that I could not ignore for this entire movie.
0: And I think that. As far as the critical reception, a lot of people saw that and thought, you know, this is not a drama for that. But like, as you said, in your first watcher of that, that covered the entire thing as opposed to some pretty cool action. Although watching it again, I find some of the action to be a little bit unnecessary. (laughs) There's a lot going on, for example, in that initial car car chase scene. so
1: Speeder chase. Yeah,
0: speeder chase. So you start out and so... uh, (laughs) Jango hires another assassin, Zam Wessel, to go kill Padme. And instead of using, like, I don't know, knives, lasers, bombs. She uses these fat
1: caterpillar murder caterpillars. Fat murder
0: caterpillars. (laughs) And then, you know, showing off another touchstone of the rest of this film, which is that uh, Jedi don't take fall damage. Obi-Wan's just like, I'll chase after it. He jumps out the window.
1: Okay, Obi-Wan Kenobi, who for the entirety of his relationship with Anakin is counseling him to be more cautious, Mm -hmm. dives headfirst through a glass window
0: to grab basically a flying a floating Frisbee.
1: When I tell you, I screamed. (laughs) Oh, my God.
0: And that leads to, I think one of the more touching friendship moments between Anakin and Obi-Wan is like this that chase scene. Because there's a lot of fun banter back and forth. You know, what took you so long? Oh, I couldn't find a speeder that I really like. That's a great line. That's a great line.
1: So one thing that I that I wrote down to think about is I was I'm curious why I enjoyed this movie so much because it's not a particularly fun movie. We have the the Coruscant chase scene with Anakin and Obi-Wan, which is delightful. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of banter. Obi-Wan and Anakin stroll into a bar looking for the assassin. Mm-hmm. And Obi-Wan dips and heads straight to the bar. And Anakin's like, where are you going? Obi-Wan's like, Obi-Wan's on a business trip. He's like, I'm getting a drink. Yeah. Other than that, there is not a lot of fun or playfulness or joy to be found in this movie. Mm-hmm. And yet I found myself really enjoying it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally see what you're saying about that with the fun. There's a lot of stuff crammed in this movie, and there's a lot of action sequences which are, I think, a little bit drawn out, have a little too much going on that don't necessarily need to, particularly in the second half. But in the Are first you thinking half about the final
1: long. battle on Genesis?
0: Uh The factory scene, yeah, but, yeah. But in this half of the movie, that car, the speeder chase scene, a little bit too long. Could have had. Could have moved that around a little bit because it is, um, this is a long movie. This is a
1: long movie, but one thing that I found myself noticing is how deftly plotted it is. Mm -hmm. So taking a step back and looking at the plot of this movie really quickly, it feels like you've got three plot strands that are braided together really nicely. So you've got... The the Anakin and Padme story, of course. Mm -hmm. You've got the Obi-Wan investigation that Mm -hmm. leads to him finding out about the clones and Mm -hmm. leading to the culminating battle on Geonosis. And then you've got, I'm going to call it threats to the Force as Mm -hmm. a plot strand. So you've got the external threat to the Force, which is the Sith, the dark side. And then you've also got this internal threat to the Force, that I really want to talk about because it is hinted at a lot by the Jedi Council, but I'm not sure that I really understand what it is.
0: Yeah, there's some really cool stuff to that and I think um there's some interesting things early on in the movie. So, first we see um, a meeting almost right away after assassination attempt on Padme and you jump straight to the Chancellor's office. The Chancellor's office is done all in red. And at least according to the sort of those incredible cross section books, which do turn out to be canon eventually, they introduce a lot of things which become fact in the canon of Star Wars. There's a lot of like Sith stuff in there. And it's all in red, it's all in black, it's all sharp edges, as opposed to sort of the blue and gold of the Jedi.
1: Which, if you'll note, the very deliberate costuming choices that the costuming department put Anakin in for this entire movie Mm -hmm. is. Dark leather, red accents, sharp edges, always in contrast to Obi-Wan, who's always wearing white linen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I was totally picking up on, on what you're putting down.
0: And so, you know, the Chancellor meets with Mace Windu and with Yoda and also with uh, Luminara and Barris Ofri in his office. And then he just happens to be like, oh yes, how interesting, there was also an attack on Padme's life, but just this exact moment, let me just maneuver this into place. I'm going to have Obi-Wan guard Padme, and isn't his, uh, you know, just, he's nonchalantly putting oh, Anakin and Padme oh, together.
1: Obi-Wan's Padawan.
0: Yeah, who's, who's that guy? And he's gotta know that Padme is very attractive, and that Anakin was taken at a young age. They bonded together. He does, And later on, it's alluded to that Anakin and Palpatine spend a lot of time together.
1: It feels like they already have a relationship established. Mm-hmm.
0: And so if that's the case, then Anakin has certainly spent a lot of time being like, hey, there's this girl, but she's like way above me. And he's like, no, she's not. Because that's another thing that Palpatine does. When him and Anakin later on, shortly thereafter, have a conversation, Palpatine is like, Don't listen to those Jedi. They don't know how cool you are, which is a really interesting way of grooming someone into a role you want of don't trust your peers. Only trust people who like listen to you or, and like, Talk about how cool you are, like me. Only listen to me. But he's being so clever and subtle about it.
1: So what I noticed is that Obi-Wan and Palpatine are giving Anakin almost diametrically opposed advice this entire movie. Obi-Wan is saying, guard your thoughts. Be careful to not let negative influences grow over your thoughts. Be mindful of your feelings. And Palpatine is saying, trust your feelings. Lean into your feelings. And they are... Palpatine is definitely grooming Anakin. And I don't want to go so far as to say that Obi-Wan is grooming Anakin. But there is a there's a very strong diametric opposition between the advice that Anakin is getting from his two mentors.
0: Yeah, I don't think that it would be incorrect to say that Obi-Wan is grooming Anakin, but that's also what their relationship is on its surface and is supposed to be, that as a Padawan, you spend time with your Jedi master, protecting them physically, as well as learning all you can from them. And that circles back to the last movie with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, and Qui-Gon says, he's learned all he can from me he's ready to move on to the next stage of him. And so Obi-Wan is still teaching Anakin things. And there's other touchstones throughout the movie. Um, Anakin says, like, even during the chase scene, when he loses his lightsaber, Anakin is continually like, oh, Obi-Wan's going to kill me. Obi-Wan's going to be so mad at me for losing my cool, for losing my lightsaber, for jumping out of the car again, things like that.
1: Obi-Wan is definitely a presence in Anakin's thoughts throughout the film. And we don't get as much insight into how much Obi-Wan thinks about Anakin in this movie. But it is interesting how much tension already exists in that master Padawan relationship. But backing up, what does that have to do with this... Internal threat that Yoda, I remember, frequently mentioning to the Force.
0: Right. So Yoda and Mace specifically talk about how there is um, a weakness that the Jedi Council has, and Mace says something to the effect of, uh, "We need to inform the Chancellor or or the Council that we no longer can rely on the Force." So Yoda and Mace are talking about how they can no longer use the Force to see the future, to see the pattern of things, that their connection to the force is clouded. But they also allude to how the only person who currently knows that is the Dark Lord of the Sith, which is an interesting thing for them to have already investigated and already know and to admit. It speaks to being aware of your weaknesses. Now, there's other sources talking about how in order to cloud a... Jedi's mind, uh, and this is in like the uh, older public books, as well as some other issues, which I'm not sure are canon or not, talking about the, the act of pain, like giving pain, inflicting pain on people at a larger scale, blocks, uh, sort of crowds out the, the force to Jedi. And so by causing all sorts of strife, one is able to cloud the vision of the Jedi from what they're doing. And so that might be what the plan of Palpatine is to separate out the Jedi from the Force, particularly in large scale, by connecting together the Jedi and the Grand Army of the Republic. Because that way they're actually all seeing frontline service, they're seeing their friends die, and that is the most pressing thing in what's going on in their lives as opposed to. Feeling the force around them
1: mm, that's fascinating,
0: and so that's a little bit of foreshadowing on the part of Yoda and mace, but it also it's sort of when lampshading of saying like how how can they not know how can they not know that Palpatine is a Sith lord like he's sitting there presumably he's got like lightsabers in his pocket and they're in his office you know like they're in the <laughs> They're using the Force, and they're probably able to be like, hey, lightsaber check. There's two more lightsabers in this office than there should be. Like, that's weird.
1: So that's a theme that I was picking up frequently, is the sensitivity that Force users have to each other's feelings, thoughts, emotions. When Anakin goes on his murder spree on mm-hmm. Tatooine, Yoda is picking up on that feeling of pain, on this terrible pain that Anakin is in, from... I don't know, half a galaxy away. And so it makes me it makes me wonder how much of that is intentional and is supposed to make sense to us as viewers and how much of it is sort of a plot device to say things like, ah, Obi-Wan had no idea what Anakin felt about Padme. Or Yoda and the Jedi Council had no idea what was going on with Palpatine.
0: So that argument, that line of how much of this is deeply intentional and how much of this are we backfilling with legends, with other works, with you know, David Filoni making The Mandalorian and The Clone Wars to fill in the gaps. How much of that is George Lucas being a genius and how much of that is us, the audience, and that line is where you switch from being like a casual viewer to a deep fan. Oh, shit. Yeah. So welcome.
1: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the Star Wars side. Yeah,
0: that's that's it right there. Is I feel like someone should give me a medal. Things. Yeah. Well, I feel like I need
1: a handshake and a cookie.
0: I think you want to talk about Dex and the diner.
1: I mean, it was such a fun scene.
0: It's a very fun scene.
1: It's fun. Okay, so here's what is fun. We see a lot of Obi-Wan doing cool, fun things, just being Obi-Wan. We, I love the scene in the bar on Coruscant when he goes and is drinking like electric blue intergalactic juice. Mm-hmm. I love when he's hanging out with his old buddy Dex and drinking like Jawa. Jawa juice. Jawa juice. There's yeah. a lot of juice drinking in this movie. <laughs> People are very hydrated in this movie. Yeah, Obi-Wan doing Obi-Wan is never not going to be a delight and it is very fun. I feel safe when Obi-Wan is the main character on screen because in direct opposition to Anakin, I feel like I can trust Obi-Wan to make pretty good decisions, to have a clear head, to be wise and forward thinking and I feel very unsafe when Anakin is on screen because I know that he is probably making really, really poor decisions at all times.
0: I agree. And that's the, sort of the two separate – two of the little separate threads of this movie that you were talking about because Obi-Wan is going through it And he's doing basically normal day-to-day Jedi things. He's like, oh, I found this like thing. I need to rely on the Force, rely on knowing – a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy about where this might come from and track down like why it doesn't exist. And he's just like flying around doing cool Jedi stuff, flying solo. And he's pretty unperturbed by the whole thing. Contrast with Anakin who has perturbed the whole movie.
1: So, okay. In the first, I'm going to say five to 10 minutes of the movie, Mace Windu specifically says, We're keepers of the peace, not soldiers. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about that because what you just said makes me feel like Obi-Wan is doing what Jedi do. Mm -hmm. And Anakin is not doing what Jedi do.
0: That fast forwards a little bit to the moment on Naboo when uh, several moments on Naboo as, quote, they're falling in love, unquote. Part of it is Anakin has this extremely juvenile view of governance which is – I really relate to it because, like, you know, Obi-Wan offhandedly makes jokes about, like, oh, you know, we don't trust politicians and yada, yada. Like, that was how I was raised. My dad was like, I don't trust, you know, anyone who makes more than $35,000 a year. And then this uh, sort of –
1: So you're talking about the picnic scene on Abu?
0: Yes, when he's talking about, you know, well, someone should be in charge. And you start with this, like, democratic ideal – and this like libertarian ideal of like, yes, absolutely free speech, absolutely everyone's opinions matters. But when that breaks down, there definitely needs to be someone, some patriarchal figure who comes into play. And I don't know how much of that has been imprinted on him by Palpatine, but it is certainly relatable in my personal life. I relate a lot with Anakin in this movie because I have had experiences where I will have a whole relationship with a woman in my head before I talk to her. And then, you know, 30 minutes later, I'm saying I love her. And she's like, I don't even know you. And I'm like, well, yeah, because I've been lusting after you for 10 years or something. That is a very childish, relatable, masculine thing, as is his view of politics, which is everyone should listen to each other and then they should all agree on the right thing. and I should decide what the right thing is. Ooh. And that is why Anakin is so relatable. And it's almost unfortunate that he was played by someone who looks older than Anakin ostensibly is because he's 19. Anakin's 19,
1: Padme, are we guessing she's 26?
0: Somewhere in that range.
1: Somewhere 26 to 28. So she's a young professional senator.
0: But he is still a boy in terms of a lot of things. And his training has been... Um, oh, he's really good at stuff. Like, And that's that's alluded to throughout the movie. He is an extremely competent lightsaber duelist. He's ex, an extremely competent pilot. And so he's good at a lot of things. He's well-liked. He's popular. And he's troubled, but that's not enough to stop him. Like, People see his potential and want him to move beyond that.
1: I thought it was curious that the last time we see Anakin, he's this nine-year-old. He's plucky, optimistic, mischievous. We fast forward a decade, and this Anakin that we're immediately introduced to is tortured. Mm-hmm. He is miserable. He's not sleeping. He is haunted by these nightmares about his mother. He's never let go of that trauma. He's constantly getting the advice to compartmentalize. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder what happened to Anakin in the intervening 10 years to go from this cute nine-year-old that you can project all of your hopes and thoughts and dreams on to this tortured young man.
0: I think that there's two elements at work there. And one of them is his relationship with Palpatine. And one is his relationship with Obi-Wan because mm-hmm. Obi-Wan is not that much older than him. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Obi-Wan is five years older than him. Maybe, maybe a few, a few more, maybe 10. And he is still young, still dealing with coming into his own grown upness still coming into being a Jedi Knight. And that's mm. why Obi Wan seems to thrive when he's in his own element doing Jedi Knight things. But their relationship is almost too close. In a way, it'd be much better if uh Anakin was paired with someone who is much, much older and much wiser.
1: Oh, Qui Gon would have been Qui-Gon can do no wrong, as we know, in my eyes. But (laughs) Qui-Gon would... I wrote this down when we were talking about the Phantom Menace. Qui-Gon would have been the ideal mentor for Anakin. He had enough of a rebellious streak that he could understand where Anakin was coming from. But he truly lived the Jedi Code.
0: Yes. Somewhat to his detriment, because he was living the Jedi Code as opposed to the Jedi Code in practice. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, Camino and Django, if you don't mind. I think that's yes, very cool. Yes, please.
1: Okay, can I just say that the Camino aesthetic, this Scandinavian mid century modern <laughs> thing, <laughs> this. Uh, <laughs> this interior of an Ikea store thing that they have going on is so up my alley.
0: And they live on, like, you know, oil derricks in the North Sea. It's Please very Please let me
1: live with the Caminoins. Like, I'm so into and this. They're very
0: tall and they're very skinny. They're
1: very beautiful. They are
0: very calm voices.
1: I just, I've never wanted to be anything but a Camino inn I'm I, gonna, I'm gonna say <laughs> it. <laughs>
0: I, I love the, uh, that's why I'm here line because like, oh, don't you want to see your new army? And Obi-Wan is just like, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm 100% going to play along just to Obi-Wan see what's going Obi-Wan is talking
1: on. out of his actual ass.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he really is. And like, he flies in, he's all, you know, it's raining and he lands, and he's soaking wet by the time he's gone 30 feet to the door. And they're like, welcome, we've been expecting you. He's like, really? <laughs> Is that so? <laughs> That's great. I I love that. That's very fun. And then, I mean, the aesthetics are very cool, very futuristic. The aesthetics
1: are peak. The aesthetics are absolutely prime. What do you want to talk about about Camino?
0: I want to talk about the clones and Django. Yeah. So he's he's tracking Django, and for people who watched the original trilogy. You know who Boba Fett is. And so you hear about Django Fett, and you're like, is that a relation? Is that someone who we are aware of? And then you meet Boba, and of course, it's young baby Boba. And that's. Who's an absolute
1: twerp in this movie? Let it be sad. Yeah. He is such a twerp. He's like laughing as his dad himself, (laughs) his big self, is throwing seismic charges at Obi Wan. He's a twerp.
0: I mean, the seismic charges sound pretty cool. They're That's, very cool. It's like throwing enormous rocks in a pond. It's like, boink.
1: They're extremely cool to watch. I've, I rewound and fast forwarded and rewound and fast forwarded that scene. It was very cool.
0: It also shows the Mandalorian versus Jedi fight for the first time. And that is going to echo throughout really the rest of the series. And so circling back, in the original trilogy... You meet Boba, and that led to the entire idea being spawned into existence from the fandom of what is a Mandalorian? What do Mandalorians do? How cool are Mandalorians? Is Boba Fett a Mandalorian? Is Boba Fett alive after getting thrown in the Sarlacc pit? And where did he come from? And that is all very cool. And it then circles back into actually creating the Clone Army, which became the Stormtroopers in this movie. So the clone army is from obviously from the Mandalorian aesthetic, from the Boba Fett aesthetic, and I think that's very cool. Django uh, is being just completely evasive. You know, if if Obi Wan is being evasive on why he's there on Kamino, Django makes him look like a chump because
1: so Obi Wan stumbles into the clone army realization because he's tracking. Mm -hmm. And then it seems as if everyone forgets about the Jango clone army connection. So Obi-Wan stumbles into this massive army that's been created for the Republic. And does he put two and two about why Jango is there?
0: I don't think so. And he's very much following a trail of breadcrumbs. And in fact, that is specifically... Uh, talked about when he fir- so he meets with Django. He bounces. Django's like, pack your things. We're gonna get out of here because the Jedi are onto us. And he goes to his uh, his ship. Makes a call to the old folks' home, which I love that line.
1: That and, was
0: adorable. Yeah. And Yoda and Mace are like, yeah, follow the lead with Django because making a clone army. That's like sort of beyond what we sent you out here to do. We'll investigate that in a moment, and we also have to figure out what's going on with sifo But Django is separate and important. And I think that that in-universe kind of makes sense, that you would say, make a clone army, and you're like, okay, well, we actually just care about the progenitor of all those clones. What happens with all the clones matters a little bit less than the actions of an individual. That's sort of... Foreshadowing of how the Jedi interact with the clones later, and that although to normal people you you know they're interchangeable, but to the Jedi each one's unique in the Force. So the fight between Django and Obi Wan is very cool from a Mandalorian versus Jedi perspective of seeing like a, a Mandalorian's tools versus a Jedi. You know, a Jedi reaches out with the Force to grab their weapon. Uh, Mandalorian reaches out with a grappling hook, a Jedi force leaps, a Mandalorian jumps using their jetpack, and it's a very cool fight back and forth, of which Jango escapes, and then the asteroid belt.
1: Can I just chasing. say that when we see baby Boba Fett peeking over the dashboard of Slave <laughs> 1, like firing <laughs> the heavy <laughs> blasters at Obi-Wan, like he's at an arcade... I squealed. Yeah? It was so great. (laughs) I love baby Boba, even though he's a twerp. I just love him so much. I
0: mean, you know, your dad is sitting there in a fight with someone and you're like, I can help. I'm helping. Is this helping?
1: They're so cute. They call each other dad and son. Mm -hmm. I mean, of all the father-son relationships in Star Wars, this is a pretty good one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> out, of, out of all of them, it's probably the only good one.
1: This is a pretty healthy dad-son murder dynamic. Mm-hmm. I'm here for it.
0: I quite like the flight scene afterwards. I love seeing those Aether Sprites. That's the name of uh, Obi-Wan's ship. The really the dagger-shaped one with the loop around it that like separates out. That's a very cool aesthetic. We've of course seen Slave One before in Empire Strikes Back. Which is a, a cool ship. and It's very cool seeing it in You've action. You've
1: seen Slave One before. True. Technically, From, I have not seen Slave like, One. Technically,
0: yet. no. Those seismic charges blowing up all the asteroids and Obi Wan having to fly around—that's just a cool scene. And then it's the old uh, land on an asteroid after pretending to blow up trick. Which well, I, I
1: was going to say Obi Wan throwing the homing beacon on Slave One is just a classic elder Jedi move. They're all about working smarter, not harder.
0: Yeah. like,
1: But he does have to do some really nifty flying to get rid of the missile that Django sends after him. That's a
0: really nasty missile. That was coming right for him. He had to empty out the toolkit.
1: With R4, is R4 related to R2?
0: So all the R series are astromech droids. They'll have various like similar body forms. We later see some R5s, some R7s, things like that. Um, so R4 is a later model. What I really appreciate is that R4 and obi ship, same paint scheme. Mm. Very, very cool.
1: A-plus coordination. Yes.
0: Like if you're going to, you know, pop into your ship and be like, yes, of course my droid is painted the same as my ship. Why would I? Uh, do you not?
1: <laughs> Does the droid match the dashboard? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So then we end up with uh, going to Tatooine because Anakin and Padme are having their relationship. They're having fun. they're, They're carrying on. But Anakin is just an emotional train wreck because of dreams about his mother. And so he's like, I can't protect you. I'm going to Tatooine. And Padme comes with him.
1: Padme, who does not understand the concept of her own mortality, is like, yes, of course, I'll go with you to Tatooine. Yes, of course, I'll go rescue Obi-Wan on Geonosis. Yeah,
0: but the really a lot. But yeah, that's the most enabling thing of saying Mm. he's like, I'm all stressed out. I'm going to go off without you. And she should be like, yeah, I'm in the lake country near my home. Go do whatever you're going to do. I don't need to be there. I'm Gucci. Yeah, but they go. And they meet up with Watto and I love Watto's like reaction He's like, Oh my, how you've sprouted. And I know some deadbeats, uh, maybe you owe me a bunch of money. Maybe you could help me out. Like if you meet, if you know someone from your childhood and they become a Jedi and you know, you're like, Hey, can you, uh, can you help me with something?
1: Watto is exactly the same as he was in the previous movie, just like a little bit more decrepit with the flies oh, swirling. so many
0: flies. It's actually
1: really kind of a gross scene. Uh-huh.
0: And he's got like stubble, which is surprising. I didn't even know his species grew hair and it just stubble. He's got a stupid hat.
1: It's- I like that. Anakin basically smolders him into submission in this scene. <laughs> Anakin shows up, and is like, "Ah, oh, yeah, I got these deadbeats you could dig a, you could crack at for me." And Anakin just stares at him, and Watto's like, "Or I could tell you where your mom is and be extremely helpful for the first time ever."
0: Mm-hmm. So then they go there, find that Shmi has been taken by Tusken Raiders, and we meet. Um, Kleeg, and Owen and Baru, who are also names that you'd recognize from uh, episode four, in their little farmstead out in the middle of uh, Tatooine. She went out looking for mushrooms. Apparently mushrooms grow on Tatooine. That and is- then the Tusken Raiders took her. She's probably dead. They ripped off my leg. 30 men went out. Four came back. And they find C-3PO.
1: They do? Who has been given... Droid clothes.
0: Yeah, and he's just been sitting here doing droid things on this farm in the middle of nowhere for interminably long.
1: This is about the only palatable moment of C-3PO in the whole movie. Ugh. He he precipitously becomes absolutely unbearable.
0: Yeah, that does speak to uh, Anthony Daniels' contract with being in every Star Wars movie ever because... I continue to not see a purpose for having uh, C-3PO in this movie. Uh,
1: Am yeah. I just a buzzkill? Or does there really not need to be a comedic relief character in battle scenes?
0: That's what makes it a kid's movie as opposed to an adult movie. You know, <sighs> I just it's... feel
1: like such a buzzkill.
0: Yeah. I, or maybe it's just because... These are from the early 2000s, and it was just a happier time then when you did need a comic relief character in battles, and now we don't in In 2021.
1: Should we talk about Anakin zooming off into the desert? And Well,
0: did you note that when he's like, hey, I'm going to go off in the desert and take care of business, they cut to the shadows, and his shadow, his silhouette is straight up Darth Vader. What? Yeah, because his hair grown out a bit. Yeah. What? Yeah. It is. No. He's wearing a cloak and Darth Vader's got that distinctive profile because of his helmet and it is Darth Vader's helmet. Did you also note the sick pod racing beats as he's driving across the desert?
1: No. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch this entire thing.
0: There are sick pod racing beats during the initial chase scene and... Basically, any time Anakin gets behind the controls, apparently, he just sets it to 99.7 the pod race and just jams out. Oh, my God. Sick pod racing beats. (laughs) He flies off on a speeder bike and is like interviewing Jawas. He's interviewing randos in the middle of Tatooine, just going from place to place until he finds a tent. And then he proceeds to jump off to it, and then he sneaks in and finds Shmi.
1: The foreshadowing of Shmi dying in Anakin's arms, Mm -hmm. knowing what will happen with all of the women in Anakin's life. I have a lot of empathy for Anakin in this movie. I'm not an Anakin apologist by any means, but the – the authentic grief and trauma of this thread in Anakin's story really hits home.
0: So after that, when he goes and he massacres the Tuscans and Yoda is having a moment, he says such fear, Mm. not anger, but fear Mm. that goes back to, uh, you know, fear leads to anger anger leads to hate hate leads to the dark side but the fear of what is what led anakin to massacre all those people and it's the fear of loss
1: to slaughter them like animals mm-hmm. is how he puts it
0: then he goes back there um you know, he's just losing it, and he regresses. He emotionally regresses because he's in the garage tinkering.
1: He says, life seems so much simpler when you're fixing things. And I thought, would Anakin have been happier if Qui-Gon had just left him a slave on Tatooine?
0: Maybe. And then he further goes to his massive lack of emotional control when they're having a funeral for Shmi. And her husband is like, yes, you know, devoted wife. And her stepkids are like, yeah, we spent the last however many, 10 years with her. And she was great. And Anakin talks about himself.
1: Ooh. Anakin talks
0: about how this hurts him specifically.
1: And he's not going to fail again. Yes. He tells Padme that he is going to become so powerful that he can even stop death in its tracks. Mm Mm-hmm. So, heavy foreshadowing there, folks.
0: Yeah, a little bit.
1: What I noticed is that well, first what I noticed is that Anakin pins his grief and anger on Obi-Wan somehow for not letting him, for not letting him be what he wants to be. And then we also see these seeds that Palpatine has so skillfully planted in Anakin's mind. So they can grow and mutate and twist Anakin in exactly the direction that Palpatine wants. Palpatine has been planting all of these seeds. Anakin, you're the the greatest Jedi Padawan I've ever seen. You're going to become the greatest Jedi that there's ever been. You're more powerful. You're more wise than anybody I know. And it's just feeding into these cracks in Anakin's very foundation. Yep.
0: Yep. And that leads to all sorts of other issues down the line, obviously. All in all, this the first half of this movie sets up a lot of stuff. And I think there's a handful of unresolved threads and a handful of things that didn't necessarily need to be as complicated as there were. But as far as... And I can see why the criticism that is still levied on it and the prequel trilogy as a whole basically focuses around this first half of this movie, which is there's a whole bunch of politics. There's a whole bunch of like interpersonal stuff. There's not a lot of lightsaber fights. There's not a lot of star battles.
1: The middle of this movie does drag a little bit.
0: But there's a lot of ground to cover.
1: I found this incredibly fertile ground for Mm -hmm. I mean, I paused every 35 seconds and was (laughs) writing down furiously scribbling notes. So, is it that time? What time? It's time for Baywatch! (laughs) It's time for Baywatch! (laughs) For those of you who don't know, I am chronically incapable of picking a favorite character, and so every episode we have Baywatch, where Sam and I pick who our bay, our babe, our before anybody else of the episode is. And fight me because I'm right. Uh, the bay of the first half of Attack of the Clones is Obey-Wan <laughs> Kenobi himself.
0: I don't think you'll get much argument from me. The first half of this movie is peak Obi-Wan.
1: Crotchety Obi-Wan is who I never knew that I wanted in my life.
0: What do you mean, Crotchety?
1: Crotchety Obi-Wan has so many great lines in the first half of the movie when he's, he's... co-piloting Anakin in the speeder during the chase scene in Coruscant. And Anakin, oh, we want things that Anakin lost the assassin and he's lecturing him. And he's like, some shortcut punk. And Anakin is just like, excuse me, and (laughs) dupes and jumps head first. Not head first, but jumps out of the speeder.
0: And catches the assassin.
1: Catches the assassin. I mean, I wrote down so many delightful uh, how about how about when Obi-Wan's in the bar and someone tries to sell him death sticks and without even looking up, Obi-Wan just says, you want to go home and rethink your life?
0: <laughs> I, uh, I want to go home and rethink my
1: life. <laughs> dying. Dying. Uh, There's nothing better. It's Obi-Wan.
0: Very, very classic. I think that's I, – I agree this is – This is what makes people love Obi-Wan as a character, is watching him get to be Obi-Wan. And this is Obi-Wan being Obi-Wan.
1: I could watch 10 hours of Obi-Wan being Obi-Wan.
0: I have an alternative point of view, and it's going to say actually a lot about me and a lot about my personal struggles. And it's not necessarily 100% true for me now.
1: Oh, I'm so ready for this.
0: I think Padme is in her tactfulness, in her diplomacy, in her de-escalation, doing all the right things for meeting up with Anakin. And unfortunately, it turns out that she also has feelings for him. But the way she handles a really emotionally unstable man emotionally attacking her is with a significant grace and dignity, which is admirable.
1: Oh, you're so right. There are so many reasons to love Padme, Mm -hmm. especially in the first half of this movie. She's phenomenal at setting boundaries. There's Mm -hmm. a point when Anakin cuts her off and she says, excuse me, and finishes her sentence Mm -hmm. If you are not a young woman, you might not know how hard it is to finish your sentence when someone is giving you all the signs not to. And I found a lot to admire about Padme, about Padme knowing how to comfort and and inspire people who are hurting to move forward.
0: Mm-hmm. She didn't make 100% correct decisions, but neither did Obi-Wan. And She's like 26. She's like 26. And she's led a, a weird life. I don't know if moving from queen to senator is an upgrade or a downgrade, but she's led a tough life. You know, it starts off and she is the character. She's got like the second line in the movie. As one of her dear friends dies. As her cool ass ship gets blown up. And I think she's got a cool role to play in this movie which is understated
1: she's brave she's not afraid to wield a blaster she's emotionally intelligent she's diplomatic she's far sighted she is frighteningly good at politics mm-hmm. i think there's a lot to admire about padme
0: yeah So, what did you gain from in your understanding of the Star Wars universe from this movie? Uh oh. Looks like there's a lot.
1: No, I'm trying to think. I think I gained an understanding of the tenuous place that the Jedi occupy in the galaxy. Mm -hmm. And I gained a real understanding of their flaws which were not immediately evident from the Phantom Menace. They were hinted at, but I didn't understand just how fractured the foundation of the Jedi is until this movie. And that's really good to know moving forward.
0: Yeah. What are you looking forward to in the second half of this movie?
1: What are you looking forward to in the second half of this movie?
0: Um, There's a lot of action which is exciting. There's, uh, there's some really cool resolutions of all these things, as well as an escalation into what's coming after that, which is the Clone Wars TV series, which I'm very excited for because really that's kind of the purpose of this podcast. Like, you know, it's not a huge investment to watch all the movies It is a pretty huge investment to watch all the TV series and glean a lot of information out of them, which is why we're doing it for you. But uh, this all leads into the groundwork for that. It all takes place in the Clone Wars. And the last, you know, the first moment of the Clone Wars is that is in the next movie. And the last moment is in episode three. So it all happens in between there. And that's seven seasons two tv series one only one of them canon a whole feature-length movie there's a lot in there to be told and i'm very excited for that to start because it's it shows the wealth of ground that can be covered in this pretty deeply built sci-fi universe that george lucas created well that about wraps it up for the first half of episode two as always you can find us on social media at growing up skywalker if you like the show please leave us a review on your podcast app or send it to a friend or loved one or even your you know sith manipulator in your life if oh you oh my god what do you not have one of those
1: oh i'm sure i do <laughs> i wouldn't gift them with this podcast
0: you know the more the merrier <laughs> If you'd like to get access to fun goodies, including having your name read on the show, you can find us on Patreon. And uh, I think we'll start taking some requests on that. Maybe watching the Tartakovsky Clone Wars and talking about that. Or I just picked up some new Star Wars games that I'm willing to stream.
1: Yeah, some very exciting bonus content coming yeah. to the Patreon. Our little tiers start at $3 a month. So if you would like to send us the equivalent of a latte every month to help us recoup some expenses and keep the lights on and grow our spanner collection, (laughs) that would be deeply appreciated. Uh, As always, if you have any questions, please shoot us a listener holocron to growingupskywalker at gmail.com. I promise we read every single one. And tune in next Tuesday for...
0: Attack of the Clones Part 2.
1: Bye, y'all.